I got murdered once. Oh, yeah. I got better. I got better. Yeah. (laughs) Hello, hello. Welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. As always, I'm Russ, a.k.a. Morris, and with me here is... Hi, I'm Peter Coffey. I'm here from Southampton Guild Roleplayers. Delighted to be here as ever, Russ. And I notice you're not alone this week, Peter. I know, I know. This this strange man followed me through the door. He seems familiar. It's like I knew him in a previous life, but it's been so long since last I saw him. Yeah, you appear to have discovered one of those rare species, the lesser spotted Angus. The deeply lesser spotted Angus. Hi, Angus. <laughs> Hello, Peter. Hello, Russ. <laughs> Angus, could you tell our listeners who you are and what you are? What I am? I'm a ninth level human. <laughs> um, I'm Angus Abramson. I am a regular columnist on EN World. I also help Russ out with EN Publishing and do a variety of little bits and pieces, a jack of all trades in the uh, games industry. A bard. A bard. A bard without the voice. Yes. What's he been barred from? We don't talk about that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so, Peter, what struck your eyes this week? Something that I thought was quite interesting was there was an Indiegogo uh, which was promising to turn something called Everyone into a game. I was like, what is Everyone? I don't know. What is Everyone? No. Okay, so basically, in the early part of the last century, <laughs> uh, it's going very HG Wells, uh, there was um, a series of satires of the British Empire has Utopia. So it's like a sort of a parody of this. Uh, and it's called Erewhon, which obviously is nowhere spelt backwards. Ah. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, How uh, did I not spot that? <laughs> I know, it, it's so obvious. Once I read about it on Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> so, I was, but I was like, you know, it was, and essentially this Indiegogo thing is supporting someone to get cancer treatment, but it didn't actually say what the game was about or what everyone was and why I should care. So I went and had a read and it was uh, very interesting because they were very popular novels, but in part that's because they thought they were written by a chap called uh, Edward Bulwer Lytton, who you definitely know some of his phrases. It was a dark and stormy night. Uh, the pen is mightier than the sword. I came up with that one. Well, you were wrong. Um, <laughs> and chasing your mighty dollar. Uh, those are three things that he he basically coined those phrases. And I was just known for a dark and stormy night because his his turn of phrase is like the deepest of purple. Like you think H.P. Lovecraft gets overblown and overwrought when he's doing Call of Cthulhu and that sort of thing. No, no, no. no. Edward Bulwer Lytton, like, yeah, went full on for it, which... I kind of like, I should really look at more of his stuff. But yeah, so they thought he'd actually written those books, but it was actually someone else. Uh, I think Sam Wilson, if memory serves. So this is a tabletop RPG based, based on these books? Which is based on these books. Um, so I don't know. It could well be fun, but I don't know enough about it to describe it. Okay then. Angus, what about you? Seen anything this week? Doing headlights? Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's actually been anything I've seen this week, because everyone be, has, everyone's been over at Origins. And um, I've not really been seeing a lot of news coming through this week. Well, this is at home. Origins? What's that then? Um, Origins is a yearly convention set Mm -hmm. by the Gamma Gamma Trade people. It takes place in Columbus every year. Uh, They also do the Origin Mm -hmm. Awards, which I believe we're going to be having a chat about later on. We will. It's probably the second biggest games convention in the US after Gen Con. Mm. Um, it's it's buying seen... with UK Games Expo for third biggest, biggest in the world. Yeah, they, they, oh, they nice. keep leapfrogging. Each year um, they leapfrog, I, I haven't yeah. seen the 
attendance figures for Origins yet. Not yet, year. no. I'm sure we'll see them um, in a day or two, though. Yeah, but uh, Gen- UK Games Expo leapfrogged them again this year. Ooh. And uh, Origins are expected to reclaim third place back again. Right. After this one. So, so what's second Thanks. place? Gen Con? Gen- oh, Gen Con's second place. Essen Spiel over in uh, No, Gen Con was larger than Essen last time we checked, actually. Really? Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Surprisingly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Gen Con's really grown. That is... Yeah, yeah. Strength on Essen, then Origins slash UK Games Expo. Who find that presumably Fantasy Con, which is a convention over in Cologne in Germany, which is a big games convention, mm. because they get a lot of people who yeah. to that. But I think that's a mix. I mean, not, none of them are anything compared to some of the sort of larger sort of comic cons. And if you're talking about the tabletop specific ones, they're the largest, but they pale compared to some of the sort of other conventions that you get over in the US. Roughly what sort of ballpark figures are we talking here? For Origins? Um, and even like... Yeah. Because yeah. what you've always got to look at is you've got to look at whether or not they quote turnstile or uniques. Because mm-hmm. turnstile means how many times somebody goes in. So oh, if right, I've right. got one ticket and it's a full day convention, I'm four yeah. people. Okay. Absolutely. Pop in there. All right then. So, figures. Mm-hmm. So, Gen Con 2017. Yep. Unique attendees 60,819 with a turnstile of 201,000. Mm-hmm. Essen Spiel, we don't know the unique attendees because they don't declare that, but their turnstile was 174,000. Okay. UK Games Expo this year, 21,700 unique attendees Ooh. with a turnstile of 39,000. Mm-hmm. Origins last year, 17,000 unique attendees, turnstile 58,000. Right. So we'll find out soon what Origins figures for this year are. But of course, last year, Impressive. UK Games Expo's uh, attendance figures were about 16,000, 17,000. Mm, so they yeah. leapt up quite considerably. Yeah, last year, yeah. And its origins will do that. Yeah, so well. turn, Turnstile was 31,000, mm. unique 16,500. So yeah, they've, they've jumped up a lot this year. Mm. I mean, it felt much bigger to me when I was there this year. Well, they've expanded the halls as well. They've opened up Hall 2 yeah. to more yeah. traders and also a lot for tournament play. It's, you know, the, the hotels all around are now a little bit like in Gen Con. Mm. A lot of the hotels are hosting events and such like as well. Mm. So I, I remember you said you ran out of a stock on like the Saturday or something like that. We sold out by Saturday lunchtime on the stand that I was helping out with. Which is so, pre- pretty good for a three-day con. Yeah. Wish we bought more stuff. <laughs> well, it was a lot of the things they were selling were overstocks from their warehouse. So they were yeah. selling them to, to shift. And to be honest, it was oh. it was very nice because it meant that Saturday afternoon could actually wander around and actually have a look at the rest of the trade hall. And on Sunday, we could beat all the uh, mad rush home and actually <laughs> get back in decent time. So Nice, mm. nice. Uh, so Peter, how do you feel about us holding a small competition this week? I feel excellent about us holding a small competition this week. Well, I have a shiny copy of Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, oh. ready to go to a lucky winner. The precious. I mean, oh yes, yes, really, yeah. So, how about this? At some point during this show, mm-hmm. we'll ask a question to which there will be an answer. Novel. I like it. Tell me more. Whoever tweets me on Twitter using my username, at Morris... How do you spell Morris? M-O-R-R-U-S. 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 All together now. M-O-R-R-U-S. With the hashtag podcast contest. With the correct answer, we will select a lucky winner and send them a shiny new copy of the book. Ooh. Huh. M-O-R-R-U-S. 
I think that's the same as our Patreon, isn't it? It is. Patreon.com forward slash Morris. So send us the answer to the question with that hashtag by midnight Friday UK time. We record on Monday and we'll announce the winner then. Mm, midnight UK time would be the same as GMT, I think. So keep your ears open for the question which you'll find somewhere buried in today's podcast. All right, shall we dive into the news then? Oh, let's. So I was thinking we'd start with the award shows, because yep. award season is now underway. Mm-hmm. The Diana Jones shortlist has been announced, the Origins winners have been announced, and the Ennies nominees will be announced very soon. Diana Jones, like Diana Wynne Jones? No, uh, Diana Jones, put the letters I-N in front of Diana, what do you get? <laughs> <laughs> Indiana Jones. Indi- Indiana Jones. Indiana so, Jones, there we go. Uh, yeah. So the, the actual award is um, the last remaining copy of the Indiana Jones um, RPG. Right. Um, it was burned, and what was left, and you can see in this picture here, that what was left was basically the words Diana Jones. Oh. So that's encased in this sort of glass pyramid here. Yeah. And that's the award that's handed out each year. There's only one, and it's passed on to a new winner each year. Hey, it belongs to the museum. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, so e- each year the Diana Jones they um, they announce five uh, nominees, mm-hmm. and then uh, the the winner of those uh, of those five is announced at Gen Con on the Wednesday before Gen Con starts, which is basically mm-hmm. a big industry piss up essentially, where everyone just gets together just before Gen Con starts, gets it's drunk, only, and it's, it's, it's a really it's a really nice way of actually being able to see everyone before the show starts because once the show starts, it is complete chaos if you're actually there as a as a trader, you know, belonging to one of the publishers or whatever. Hmm. Um, and Wednesday night after you set up the booth, it means you can just go somewhere, chill out, have a few beers, relax, catch up with people that you might not have seen since the previous Gen Con if if you managed to attend, um, and then yeah, celebrate. The gaming excellence of a year or so. So would you like to hear who this year's nominees are? Oh, yes, please. Okay, then. So number one, mm-hmm. the 200-word RPG challenge. Oh, nice. That's a competition organised by uh, David Shudwan mm-hmm. and Marshall Miller. Mm-hmm. It was started in 2015 and people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. I think there were like 700 of them or so last year. Yeah. A lot of whom have never designed an RPG before. Right. Um, have these t- these type constraints where they have to design an RPG in 200 words. It's a great name. It's exactly what I thought it would be. Love it. Yeah, the title kind of gives it away, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess they're not paid by the word, eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, you were saying. Uh, number two, actual play. Mm-hmm. So this isn't a specific event or a specific product. Yeah. And this is, this is the concept of uh, sort oh. of uh, live streaming actual yeah. play of tabletop role-playing games on the internet. Yeah. The big examples of those are things like um, Critical Role, yeah. uh, The Adventure Zone, stuff like that. Yeah. And it looks like sort of like from, from stats that people like Wizards of the Coast have been putting out in the, in the last few years, that uh, live streaming is their biggest avenue for attracting new players it's like mm. it's massive and it's yeah. very very much responsible for or partly responsible for the growth of the industry that we've been seeing recently they reckon millions tune in to watch some of the uh their twitch channels yeah yeah i mean in, in another episode we're going to delve into the sort of size of the rpg market and how big D is how big the hobby games market is and stuff like that because we've got some really interesting figures about that but you know we'll do that another week yeah. and but, also how do you explain rpgs 
to people who've never played RPGs before. Well, you show them Critical Role is the answer to that. <laughs> I think that I saw something earlier t- um, earlier today about somebody put somebody put out a tweet saying, "Don't worry if your first game is not like the one you watch on Critical Role, because apparently there must have been some people who mm. yeah haven't played before and expect mm. it just to go the way that it's been." Well, going the, thing, the thing to bear in mind is mm. Critical Role—they're very, very good at what they do, but they've had a long time to get good at it. Mm. Critical Role's not a new thing; it's mm. been around for a few years now, yeah. and they're all—you know—they're professional actors as well, yeah. so they're—you know—they're very good at it, and that makes them a really good sort of showcase. Absolutely. Okay. But no, obviously we can't expect our games to necessarily be as good as that. It's I mean, bit... mine are, obviously, but... Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so the third one. The yeah, third yeah. nominee. Third one, yes. Analog Game Studies. Analog Game Studies. This is a journal. It's edited by Aaron Trammell, mm-hmm. Evan Torner, Shelley Jones, and Emma Lee Waldron. Oh. And it's a journal dedicated to the academic and popular study of games containing a substantial analogue component. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, the fourth nominee for this year's Diana Jones Awards. Uh, Charterstone. Ooh. A board game. Uh-huh. Um, you play charters hired to create a village for the forever king, competing for the king's favour by being the best at developing the village and dealing with curveballs the king throws their way. Oh. One of the things with Charterstone is it's a really, really interesting game, actually, because it's taken the legacy mechanic of once you play the first part of a game, you multiply the board and it goes on to a second part of the game. But unlike a number of legacy games that by the time you finished it, you throw away your game because it's got stickers on it and it's all finished and everything oh, else. Right. With Charterstone, by the end of your entire series of games that you play, you then have a unique board game that you can play by itself as, you know, continually. So basically, you, 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 you modify, yeah, you modify mm. the board game through the series of your first plays. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you finish the campaign play as such, mm. you then have your pretty much unique game because of the choices that you and your players have made that you can then play as a regular board game from then on. Fascinating. So it's a, yeah, it's a very mm. interesting idea. Mm. Heavily put together as well. Well, the last nominee, Harlem Unbound, a mm. role-playing game source book mm. by Chris Spivy, 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 okay. and published by Darker Hue Studios. Interesting. Call of Cthulhu, Trail of Cthulhu, Out of Innsmouth, and set squarely in squarely in twenties Harlem, turning the racism endemic in H.P. Lovecraft's writing squarely on its head. A jazz era source book for Harlem. It's it's very very good. I've got a copy actually, and it is oh, a really yeah. really nice book. Well, there's a there's a lot of racism to turn on its head. I mean, H.P. Lovecraft is like good writer, but in some in many respects, but yeah. It's, yeah, he wasn't yeah. a very nice person, no. Well, certainly not even by the standards of his time, to be fair. Not even by the standards of his time. So, of those, of those five nominees, what's, yes. what's, your, what's your pick? What would you go for? Let's start with Angus. What would you, what would you pick out of those five? I would be very surprised if actual play didn't win it, given the, you know, the, the popularity and mm. how much it has actually impacted and changed a lot of the way that people find out and are introduced to role-playing games. My feeling is the same there, yeah. It'll be interesting to see who picks up the award for that, then. It's probably going to be oh. someone like... Well, assuming it wins, of course. We're jumping ahead of ourselves. But if they were to win, um, probably someone like Matt Mercer or someone like mm-hmm. that would probably be the person to pick that up because he's he's kind of the figurehead of actual plays, isn't he? Yeah, and also he's he's 
I'd imagine there's going to be a number of the actual play people will be attending Gen Con yeah. in one capacity or another. So there'll be a few of them there. Yeah. yeah, I'd imagine if Matt Mercer is there, he would oh. be the most likely candidate. Yeah, I mean, it is by far and really most popular. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. But like, there's a part of me that's just like really interested in 200 word RPG challenge. Well, the problem with RPGs is it's a lot like say joining a football team or something, a baseball team. And if someone said to me, Peter, we practice every Wednesday and you're expected to play every Saturday afternoon for the next six, seven months, I'd be like, mm, nah, I'm all right. Mm. Uh, whereas if someone says, oh, well, we're just going to go and like, you know, kick a ball around, have some fun. And that's what a 200 RPG word RPG would be for me. It'd be the opportunity to do something, have some role play, have some fun in the course of an evening. I'm actually like really interested in finding out more wrong page RPGs uh, and like, you know, has Nice short ones because uh, obviously I've got the role playing game club and having people come along. I never want them to not have a game, so things that you can just like get going and just play is a really good fun and brief and brief. <laughs> also, with two hundred words, you're dealing with very very broad strokes to get people into it, aren't you? Mm. Because yeah. you can't cover vast. You know, it is really this is the general idea. Yeah, it's an elevator pitch. Yeah, you've got to have conceptual hooks all over the place. So, so, so if you want to see these on the Challenges website, all entries are posted there. Ooh. Not only that, they're also released it under a Creative Commons license, which means other designers can pick them up and work with them. Nice, nice. There could be some real gems there. I really like your idea. I'm going to make a book out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, <I'm doing> that. <laughs> that's nature of Creative Commons license. Yeah. Um, it, you could make a book out of it, but there would be... Challenges, I think, maybe, in selling it. But it depends on how good it is, really. Right, so that's one award system. <coughs> yes. Next up. Oh, okay, yep. The Origins. Uh-huh. So the winners were announced just recently, this last weekend. Ooh. Origins cover quite a broad kind of spectrum. So if I just narrow in, because this is an RPG podcast after all. Yeah. So if I just narrow in on the RPG awards there. Okay. Um, so, best role-playing game of the year. Um, Should we give you a rundown of who was nominated? Ooh. Okay, the contenders yes. for best role-playing game were Adventures in Middle-Earth Player's Handbook, mm-hmm. Blades in the Dark, Ooh. Blue Rose, Cthulhu mm-hmm. Confidential, uh, The Dark Eye, yeah. The Extraordinary Adventures of Baron Munchausen, yeah. My Little Pony, Tales of Equestria, ah. Monster Hearts 2, Puppetland, Starfinder, Traveller, and Vert. Ooh. So, of those, what would your pick be for the best role-playing game of the year? Uh, Dark Eye, is that the is that an English translation of the really popular German property? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, it's the equivalent of a German D&D in popularity, because uh, before um, D&D got translated into German back in the uh, 80s, they created the Dark Eye, which yeah. became their dominant force in the German fantasy RPG market. Yeah. I, I think I read somewhere that it had been overtaken by Fifth Ed, which is... Half the nature of the popularity thing. Uh, Blades in the Dark, I've only heard very, very good things about, but I know someone who is massively keen on those games. Uh, and certainly the hacks that you can get for it, like um, I think Scum and Villainy is like sort of an unofficial Star Wars one. And that is very nice. So I've played that. Blue Rose, I would like to play, but I haven't heard much about. And Tales of Equestria, despite being the My Little Pony. Uh, role-playing game or possibly even because of it is also very popular and I'm told a really good game as well well yeah. um, I, would, I would I would hope for Blades and Dark because I really do like that 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 game but I don't know 
Well, who got it? Shall I, shall I reveal the winner? Nah, keep it open. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no, go, go, go. <laughs> uh, so, best role-play game of the year <sighs> was Adventures in Middle-Earth Players Handbook. Ah, lovely, lovely. Yeah, I have that, actually. I've played, oh, I've played about four or five months of that. Hmm. Now, I'm expecting that this will be the first of the Cubicle 7 double-header of Origins Awards, because next year, I think they'll probably win for the new Warhammer Fantasy role-playing. Uh, yeah, they'll certainly be nominated at least, yeah. yeah. But I, I think they'll probably get it for that one. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be closely run. It'll either be that or the Judge Dredd and World to 2000 AD <laughs> role-playing game that's coming oh, out. Oh, yeah. Um, You're not biased at all, though, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Of course, I hear the very best thing about the new uh, Judge Dredd role-playing game is it's compatible with what's old is new, which is a fantastic system. Hey, didn't you design that one? Nice? I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> so the, yeah. the, other, the other RPG category yeah. in the uh, Origins this year yeah. was uh, Best Role-Playing Supplement of the Year. Ooh. Angus, would you like to read out the list again? Okay, the contenders for yes. Origins Best RPG Supplement. <gasps> I'm going to get crucified for mispronouncing this one. Rovanian Region Guide for Adventures in Middle-earth. Lawmaster's Guide for Adventures in Mm Middle-earth. Narrator's Kit for Blue Rose. The Grand Grimoire of Cthulhu Mythos for Call of Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. The Two-Headed Serpent for Call of Cthulhu. Codex Germania for Castles and Crusades. Codex Slavarum for Castles and Crusades. Cypher System Expanded Worlds. Cypher System, strange that. Mm-hmm. Um, Game Master's Companion for Doctor Who. Atlas of Earth Prime for Mutants and Masterminds. Mm. The Demon Lord's Companion for Shadow of a Demon Lord. Oh, yeah. And the Xanathar's Guide to Everything for Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. Well, I know who won. Uh, Go on, Peter, make your guess. <laughs> well, there's a lot of very strong contenders in there. Uh, is this done by popular vote? Uh, it's done by attendees of the show. So, oh, yeah, okay. but you actually have to go to the show to do it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because Salafar's is quite a tasty book. Uh, and it's probably, tasty? You yeah. licked it. Of course. Isn't that how you uh, absorb role-playing knowledge by osmosis? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adventures of Middle-earth is a strong choice. Fifth Ed could be a strong choice. Mmm... Oh, there was like a couple of ones in the middle as well. The narrator's guide to Blue Rose. There's narrator's kit to Blue Rose. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of Call of Cthulhu books. Yes, the Grand Grimoire of Call of Cthulhu. For me personally, that would have to win just basically on the name alone. Because like, if you're going to get an RPG saying the Grand Grimoire on your shelves, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's me. But I'm a sucker for good names. Um, probably Fifth Dead, unless it was this uh, Mid- Middle Earth stuff. You are correct. <laughs> I did cheat slightly and go for two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Dungeons and Dragons, Xanathar's Guide to Everything by Wizards of the Coast was this year's winner for Best Role-Playing Supplement. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it does It does have like a lot of good features. Um, I particularly like the chapter of names, which I thought would be terrible, but when I actually looked at it, it was like, yeah, these are all really good names. 20 of male, 20 female... And like, yeah. That's been a, a little bit uh, contentious online. Some oh, people, yeah. some people were really bothered by the fact that there's seven That's pages of names at the back of the book, and, and other people find it really useful. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm quite good with names, but like, if you're going to try and do something that's like maybe a little bit outside your uh, comfort zone, and you're not playing in fantasy England, 
then having names from other cultures is really good. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Well, that's, that's the awards out of the way. Fantastic. We'll, we'll talk about the NEs when they get announced. Good morning. Ah, oh, good morning, sir. Welcome to the National Pogolarm Emporium. Ah, thank you, my good man. Ah, oh, what can I do for you, sir? Well, I was, uh, I was sitting in the public library on Waterdeep Street just now, skimming through exotic evocations by Lord Bertram the Blind, and I suddenly came over all stabby. Stabby, sir? Bloodthirsty. Oh? Yeah, savage-like. Ah, oh, savage. In a nutshell. And I thought to myself, a nice pointed stick will do the trick. So I curtailed my arcane activities, sallied forth, and infiltrated your place of purveyance to negotiate the vending of some elongated pointy staves. Come again? I want to buy a polearm. Oh, certainly, sir. What would you like? Well, how about a nice pike? I'm afraid we're fresh out of pike, sir. Oh, never mind. Uh, how are you on poleaxes? I'm afraid we never have that at the end of a week, sir. We get them in on Monday. Tish, tish. No matter. Well, stout yeoman, one six-foot war scythe, if you please. Ah, it's been on order, sir, for two weeks. Um, I was expecting it this morning. <sighs> it's not my lucky day, is it? Ah, sorry, sir. A glaive. Sorry, sir. A guizarm. Uh Normally, sir, yes, but um, today the cart broke down. Ah, trident. Sorry. A rancier, boar spear. No. Any Baxter Corbin, perchance. No. Partisan? No. Bardish? Uh, no. Speetum? No. Broadax? No. A military fork? Uh, n- no. Daggerax? No. Oxtongue? No. Bill, Sovnia, Lucerne, Hammer, Mancatcher, Svarthstaff? N- no. A Vulge, perhaps? Ah, we have a Vulge, yes, sir. You do? Yes, sir. It's a, a, oh, it's a bit broken. Oh, I like it broken. Well, it's very broken, actually, sir. No matter. Fetch hither the stave with the pointed top. Um, I think that's a bit more broken than you'll like, sir. I don't care how bloody broken it is. Hand it over with all speed. Ooh. What now? Uh, the cat's eaten it. Has he? She, sir. Corsac? No. Grandol? No. A bohemian earspoon? No. A long spear? No. Eastern Naginata? No, sir. You do have some pole arms, don't you? Oh, of course, sir. It's a pole arm shop. We've uh, we've got... No, no. Don't tell me. I'm keen to guess. Oh, fair enough. Uh, Blandistock. Yes. Ah, well, I'll have one of those. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking to me, sir. Um, Br- Mr. Blandistock, that's my name. Tiger Fork. Uh, not as such. Footman's Flail. No. Heavy Lance. No. A Light Lance. No. Military Pick. No. Morning Star. No. Ball and Chain. No. Alpenstock. Not today, sir. How about a nice halberd? Well, we don't get much call for it around here, sir. Not much? It's the single most popular polearm in the world. Well, not around here, sir. And what is the most popular polearm around here? Extendable mattock, sir. Is it? Oh, yes. It's a staggering popular in this manner, squire. Is it? It's our number one bestseller, sir. I see... Extendable mattock, eh? You're right, sir. All right. Okay. Have you got any, he asked, expecting the answer no. I'll have a look, sir. Um, no. It's not much of a polearm shop, is it? It's the finest in the district. 
Explain the logic underlying that conclusion, if you please. Well, it's so clean, sir. It's certainly uncontaminated by pole arms. You haven't asked me about the hook taxes, sir. Would it be worth it? Nah, could be. Have you got any hooked axes? No. Figures. Predictable, really, I suppose. It was an act of purest optimism to have posed the question in the first place. Tell me. Yes, sir? Have you, in fact, got any pole arms here at all? Yes, sir. Really? Well, no, not really, sir. You haven't? No, sir. Not a scrap. I was deliberately wasting your time, sir. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to shoot you. Oh, righty-ho, sir. What a senseless waste of human life. Okay, are you ready to play our favourite game in all the world? Let's crack on. Let's do this. Woo. So, this game, guess the Kickstarter just from being told the name. Absolutely. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready, let's do this. Angus is not playing this because Angus wrote the column we're basing this on. <laughs> so that would be cheating. Thanks, Angus. So Angus, remain silent. <laughs> I think I think the test is, you may is that the next column I write, I'll have to put some real crackers in for you. Just so. <laughs> Remember, the, the better the name, the better I like it. Radio. We digress. Item number one. Far away. Peter, what is this? Quest. The role-playing adventure game for everyone. Mm, I'm going to go out a limb here and involve, say it involves looking for something. Um, <laughs> uh, it sounds like a, a system to do fantasy, probably high fantasy, but there's nothing really to get my teeth into. It sounds really generic. I mean, I'm sure it could be an absolutely fantastic game, but it's, yeah. Well, you have to make a guess. I will make a guess. I'm going to say it's for a generic fantasy role-playing game system. Okay. So this is a game. Yes. Um, I'm only going to give you like four out of ten. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so this is a game about becoming an extraordinary person in a dangerous world, unlike many role-playing games. Mm-hmm. You explore wondrous places. Mm-hmm. You meet fascinating and mysterious people. My, such new ground they're trotting. trotting. You witness... Yes. Magical events, <sighs> and you answer the call to go on exciting adventure. Well, I can see why I deserve that uh, four out of ten score there. Well, what, uh, what this essentially is, it is a. Oh, we can get Angus to answer. Oh, right, mm. Angus. If, if, yeah, I'm. I'm going to say this game had a pledge goal of sixty-five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Okay, that's quite a lot. That is massive for a role-play game. Yeah. Because, yeah, and especially for a campaign that, brand new company. Yeah. Uh, but very, very I, I, generic sounding rules. Yeah, but you think, if you look at who's involved. Though. Yeah. Did hey, so you well, explain who's involved there, Angus? Yeah, it, it, it was one that I think, again, a little bit like Matt Colville's campaign mm. a few months ago, caught a number of people oh, yeah. who were more, you know, older traditional role-playing, a little bit out of kink. Um, but um, this one, it within thirty six hours, it passed the hundred thousand dollar mark. <coughs> so it's fully funded, okay. and it's I don't know what it's on now. I haven't checked for a few days, but it's yeah, it's been going in leaps and bounds. Wow. Um, the game itself is actually by T C Sotek, Celia Lowenthal, and Chris Plant. Now mm. they're not names that 
people in the RPG industry necessarily kind of like go, oh, yes, you know, we know them. You know, they're not the Monty Cooks or anyone else like that. But what they do come from is much more of a tech entertainment background. Um, because, for instance, T.C. Sotek is the managing editor of The Verge. Yeah. yeah. So, and he's written okay. and designed this game. Um, Chris Plant is the executive it's editor Polygon, and co-founder of Polygon. Yeah. Mm. And um, uh, Celia Lerenfowler is a comic books illustrator. Right. So immediately you've got three people who aren't really considered, you know, known within the uh, RPG industry or yeah. RPG fans, but have got a very, very big following outside of the core industry launching a role-playing game that immediately, you know, is doing very, very well and making people look. And the other thing is, is although it does sound like a very generic, you know, quest and everything, you know, yeah. um, they've done it as, it's very, they're obviously aiming it for people who haven't role-played very often uh-huh. or have never role-played before, as well as people who have. Because the way they've set out the entire book is... On each page spread, the first page gives you an overview of it, and then there's more detail about those particular rules or bits mm. on the facing page. So you can actually mm-hmm. do a quick skim of one side of the book, which mm-hmm. I think is printed in, in a different colour to the other one yeah, anyway, yeah. to get everything you read, yeah, the, the basics, everything you okay. need to be able yeah. to start so it's yeah, got the basic being able to play. And, rules. and then, yeah, if you want to understand them a little bit more or have more of a technical question, you can look at it on the other page. So I think oh, that's, that's a nice. very, that's very a unique and interesting way of doing it. Strong teaching method. I mm. really like that because that's one of the things that I personally find really irritating about a lot of role-playing game design nowadays. It's like there's no thought given to user interface design. They can be a bit opaque and dense, can't they, at times? Yeah. Okay. I'm brief. Next Kickstarter. <laughs> oh, yes, next Kickstarter. We spent quite a while on that one. We did, yeah. Um, the next Kickstarter. What's this? The Black Hack, second edition. Oh, the Black Hack, second edition. Um, uh, is that something to do with Simba Room? Because I saw them... Something to do with what, sorry? Simba Room, which is a role-playing game thing. Because no. I've heard of the White Hack, and I saw that at Contingency. Uh, but the Black Hack, I haven't seen. I think it's something to do with OSR. It is. Um, and because it's a hack, they're changing the rules in some fashion. Um, but I don't know. It's a super streamlined, mm-hmm. old school fantasy role playing game. I think you probably get mm. seven or eight out of ten for that one. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what it is. It's a. That's not going purely off the name, though. To be fair, you've heard of it before. If I, oh yeah, yeah, because I, I, I think I've seen stuff for it. Like if I was going uh, purely off the name for it, I don't know. I'd guess it'd be something like. Um, a sci-fi computer playing game? No. No, no, no. no. Very much an old school fantasy RPG. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've also done like the Cthulhu hack and Vigilante hack, which mm. is a superhero one, and yeah, the whole stream and the OSR. Mm-hmm. Okay, things. moving on. Yes. Uh, this one might be a little more difficult. Okay. Okay, then. What is this? Dream Askew. Mm-hmm. Dream Apart. Oh, that is an interesting name. I totally picked that book up just to find out what was going on. Dream Askew, so got some sort of a uh, neurological sort of bent to what's going on. So it's like sort of, I'm going to say probably more fantasy, uh, maybe not strict high fantasy, but something more to that sort, like maybe an urban magic one. Mm. Um, and you've got like various like dream, dream romances, neuromancers uh, who are like working their way through things. Um, like, is it a supplement for something maybe rather than an actual game? Are you asking me, or are you, uh, or are you that, making that, a guess? I, I would guess it's a supplement for an existing role-playing game, 
it's like specialising in a new romance and that sort of jazz. Mm, I think um, I'm on my miles yeah, out. You're, you're miles out on this hey. one. This is this is a not even a two out of ten. I'll give you one out of ten. For that. <laughs> uh, so what this is? This is two <laughs> games, in fact. Okay, yeah. Uh, they're GMless. Mm-hmm. They're diceless. Mm. Um, they use the same system. Two games in a single book mm. by Avery Alder. Okay. Um, they're beginner-friendly games. Um, rather than telling stories of um, sort of individual characters on epic adventures, mm. they tell the stories of interpersonal relationships, community drama, and tension with the outside world. Okay. So you get two settings. Mm-hmm. You get Dream Askew, yep. which is uh, ruined buildings, haunted faces, strange new psychic powers, fierce queer love, and turbulent skies. Oh, interesting. And Dream Apart, you get demons. Mm. And I know you love wedding jesters. That's certainly something you could say about me. <laughs> Betrothals and pogroms. Oh, okay. Not the first two things I've put together. Uh, mystical ascensions, accusations of murder. I mean, you're quite familiar with accusations of murder, aren't you? Hey, we'll leave my personal life out of this. <laughs> uh, rabbis' daughters running away to be actresses or bandits or boy soldiers. Interesting, interesting. So it sounds like draws quite heavily upon a sort of a Eastern uh, Eastern European Jewish experience. Um, that's, that's, the, that's the only reference to... No, uh, just, sort of, just pogroms, rabbis, yeah. rabbis, winnings, that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that was a bad guess. It was a terrible guess. Okay, next one. Yes. Harvesters, the role-playing game. Is that it? Okay, I'll give you a clue. It's not about Cornish wheat farmers. Not about... Come on, Angus, you're not supposed to give us a thing. Uh, harvesters. Uh, something corn-related? Uh, not not corn has in the Games Workshop dirty, but like yeah, your actual fields of wheat growing up there. Um, harvesters. So, something to do, yeah, something to do with fields. Uh, it's my first thought. I mean, you've got harvesters men, so maybe like it's a offshoot of... Uh, Terry Pratchett's Reaper Man. That would be another thing to go with it. Um, you know what? I just don't know. You don't know. I'll tell you then, shall I? Oh, we could get Angus to tell us. Would you prefer to tell him? Or shall I? I can tell you if you like. Yes, <laughs> no, um, go on, Angus. Tell us what Harvesters is. Harvesters is by Troll or Games. It's a new family-friendly role-playing game mm-hmm. where you are playing rabbits... Owls, otters, squirrels, etc., etc., etc. So you're basically playing animals in a feudal society. Can you play a field mouse? Um, I'm presuming you probably can play a field mouse. Um, It says, Here the smallest of creatures take on the roles of the greatest heroes. Knights, druids, clerics, rogues, wizards and fighters. Together they tackle the greatest of exploits, from rescuing the princess to finding lost treasure. You'll find no humans here, only animals. They live their daily lives and do work, just like humans do in your world. That's your world, Peter, not mine. (laughs) Um, You may find a rabbit as a local constable, or a squirrel as a baker, or a mouse as a blacksmith. There you go. So you can play mice. Can play field mice. Yeah, nice. So very anthropomorphic. Okay. Yeah, so you could, if you were being kind, characterise it as D&D with animals, or you could say, it's D&D. With small animals. Yeah, yeah. And it's coming as a full colour box set, Mm. which is the other interesting thing with that one. Okay, next. Mm. Interesting. 
Yes. You haven't done very well so far. Oh, no, I'm terrible. No. People okay. need better names. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, they need to explain the entire thing in the title. Yeah, that, that's what titles are for. Okay, then. <laughs> Next is Go. The Peasant's Fell Bargain. Oh, that's a fantastic name. Uh, it's really sort of kind of allusions to like, you know, a Faustian bargain because, you know, fell, evil. Um, so you've got some like sort of warlock wannabes dealing with like uh, evil patrons. And uh, so I'm getting, I'm going to say medieval Europe because that's where you get your peasants and de- deals with the devil to get some sort of like uh, exciting stuff. So a bit like the witch in that respect. Hmm. What do you reckon? Uh, what do I reckon? Yeah. Um, I reckon What's my that's, score? I reckon that's not what it is. Oh, go on, guess what is it? I think you 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 were a little bit close when you were kind of like saying about kind of like the Faustian kind of like medieval horror. Yeah. What would you because give them out of ten? No, what well, I'd probably give you probably give you about five out of ten. Wow, that's it's still not going to oh, be right. you know um, you because it is. It is inspired by classic horror. Yeah. Um, but it is a zero level adventure for Dungeon Crawl Classics, oh. which again is another one of these kind of like, you know, more of an old school. Yeah, yeah. It's like games. sort of one of the pipeline things where you get like, what, four characters. I've not played it, but I think you get like four characters that are all a bit rubbish and they go through an adventure. <laughs> what, a zero and, level? Yeah. And, yeah. They, and then they get, then they get murdered in various interesting ways. And should any survive, uh, they take them and they go up to level one. I got murdered once. Oh, yeah. I got better. I got better. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, you say? Um, Yeah, well, yeah, basically, it's a zero-level adventure where you're trying to find the Lord's 10-year-old missing son. Um, Obviously, can't go too much more into it because otherwise it would spoil the adventure. But, um, yeah, the the, the general concept is that you are the general people of the town who have been called in to try and help. Yeah, find yeah. some. Okay, what next. could be the answer to the peasants' fell bargain then? Yeah, yeah, you're saying. Okay, yeah. From Beyond First Strike. Oh, this sounds very science fiction to me. Uh, aliens invade in an XCOM fashion. I'm really hoping it's aliens invade in an XCOM fashion because mm. otherwise I will be grievously disappointed. It is not aliens invading in an XCOM fashion, but it is sci-fi. Hey. It's like halfway, five out of ten. <laughs> uh, so this is a Starfinder adventure. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's a third part of a six-part adventure series by David Trammer. In this episode, the PCs have reached safely the Cerberus Station and successfully saved the crew. You have a chance to study the artefact retrieved on the underground plant... Plant? Planet? Plant? Planet. And depending on the choices made from Beyond Descent Episode 2, you came back with some unexpected allies. Oh, nice. So, like, Cerberus Station, presumably... Orbits around Hades, which is like some sort of like deep and Chthonian, which apparently just means cave-like rather than Cthulhu-esque, which is your more strictly Lovecraftian metaphor. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he's got another three to go. Well, good work, David. Hmm. He's yeah. been doing very well, actually, because I, I've uh, got the first two and I'm, I'm oh, back yeah. in this one as well. Mm. Um, each of them he pretty much releases as soon as, soon as a campaign's finished. We get kind of like all the, you know, the adventure from drive-through and everything else. Mm. So, you know, he does, you know, he, he is a very, very good... Yeah, he's, he's one of those that I know Morris has taken, you know, kind of like the lead on this as well, where they yeah. actually have the product ready yeah, pretty yeah. much as they go to Kickstarter. Oh, that's that's basically my rule now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For the last few years, every Kickstarter we've done, if the product isn't sitting there in my hand, the Kickstarter doesn't launch. Yeah. So Wait. there's no waiting. Hmm. Yeah, just just get it right away. No, that's, that's good because like um, there may be Kickstarters I'm still waiting on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, but we'll, but we'll, we'll gloss over that. Shall we move on? Yes, yes, that's okay. I've got another one. Uh, we have another one, ah. two, two more. Huh? Okay, let's do it. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Triumvine. Mm-hmm. I assume that's how you pronounce that word. It sounds very I, I can't say the second half of the title because the second half of the title does exactly what you just said earlier and tells you exactly what it is. So, <laughs> triumvine well, colon something. It, 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 it tells you the style more than what it is, but yeah. Triumvine. So I'm going to guess this. All right, really? I'll, give, I'll give you the full title. All right, okay, it doesn't yeah. tell you the details. So Triumvine, a narrative-focused RPG. Oh, okay. Hmm. So you don't get any points for guessing that it's a narrative-focused RPG. That's fair. Um, but you get a million points out of ten if you know a million points out of ten if you know what it's inspired by. Oh, um, <laughs> well, with a name like Triumvine, it's got Latin roots, and that would make me think of Triumvirate, which would make me think of Caesar Augustus and um, is that no Octavius? I can't remember. It's basically Caesar and a bunch of other two two of the guys that formed the Triumvirate. And then Caesar killed them all. I don't think you could be way. much further away. Am I just wrong? <laughs> so wrong. Well, um, if you had got this, I would have been... I would, I'd yeah, have thought I'm you were cheating, points. basically. Because there's, no there's no way you get this. So uh, what it is inspired by is the Impressionist art movement. Oh, of course. It's so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> now that you explain it. <laughs> it's designed to focus on non-combat-based challenges and strong narrative. Oh, okay. It's set during an industrial revolution, mm-hmm. and the peoples of Midplane have all the issues the real world has. Hmm. Any explanation for why it's called <clears throat> Triumphine? Or Triumphine? Mm, not that I can see. Very well, then. Um, I think... You know what this one is, because I think you mentioned it to me the other day. Okay. <laughs> Fifth Evolution. New genres for your 5e game. Yes. Um, I, I did actually come across this earlier, so it's like a bit of cheating. So it was the, it was the 80s, the horror... Was there some sci-fi in there? Uh, so we have World, World War II, II. superheroes, yes. and yeah. 80s horror films. Mm. No, I'm, I'm really impressed that they're uh, going to go for that, because... Like, these are not intuitively what I would expect Fifth Ed to be able to handle well. Uh, but, like, clearly they've got some fantastic ideas. I, for one, really look forward to seeing them. Certainly it's going to be interesting to see how they handle superheroes. So, well, I mean, in some ways you could argue that's actually one of the easiest, believe it or not. Because if you follow up the levelling system, you are essentially going from peasant with sword to some sort of, like, flying ninja for even fighter classes. I know it's not 5th edition, but if you mm. look back to when it was 3rd um, edition and D20, look at mm. Mutants Mastermind. And that's, that's still around D20. and very, very strong, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it can, the system can obviously cater for superheroes. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping there'll be less tables than Mutants and Masterminds, but, you yeah. So... As promised last week, uh-huh. we're going to delve a bit into Wizards of the Coast's latest announcements. Mm. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, uh, Wizards of the Coast held a weekend-long stream yes. where they announced uh, two new books yes. over in uh, LA, I believe they were. Uh, they had a whole bunch of actors and streamers comedians and stuff like that and this stream ran from I think it was like Friday through to Saturday I didn't see any of it unfortunately Mm -hmm. I know you didn't did you Mm -hmm. see any Angus? no I didn't see any Um, I have since delved in a little to find out what happened Um, so they announced two books yes Uh, the first book 
uh, was called Waterdeep Dragon Heist, mm. which is coming out later this year. Yes. Uh, and this is a sort of heist scenario set in the iconic city of Waterdeep. Yep, city of many splendours. Indeed. What's interesting about this one is that the actual structure of the adventure changes each time you play it. Mm. I mean, do you remember back, I don't know if you remember, but um, in Ravenloft, the original Ravenloft module, and they repeated this with Curse of Strahd, where you randomly determined um, various elements mm. of the adventure. Yeah. Well, in this, there were four different potential villains and depending on which villain the uh, GM chooses, yep. um, you get a, a different adventure. Yep. Uh, not only that, that also apparently determines which season that adventure runs in. Mm, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a few characters which pop up in this, this adventure. Yep. Okay. Um, so we have, um, have you heard of the Casalantas? Uh, well, you've got Victoro and Amalia. Yes pair of, what's it, elven noble types? So the Castellantes are a sort of noble uh, sort of banking family. Uh-huh. They're sort of uh, philanthropists, they're rich, um, well-known in Waterdeep, sort of socialites. Yeah. Um, you know, p- political schemers as well, to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there's a, a sort of dark sort of side to them, which mm-hmm. is going to come out in this adventure. Interesting, yeah. No. Um, I know you've heard of Xanathar. <laughs> the eponymous Xanathar and his guide to everything. Yeah. Well, uh, Xanathar, as you know, is an insane beholder tyrant, crime lord. Nice. Mm. Good mix. He's basically like a mafia don. He has, um, a pet, eyes. He has a pet fish yes. uh, which keeps dying and all his minions, rather than let him <laughs> find out his goldfish has died, <laughs> they secretly try to replace it each time <laughs> because they need to, they're worried that should he ever find out that his dear beloved goldfish has died, yeah. he might just go completely insane and go on a massive rampage and kill them all. Why, why couldn't they just kind of like get a cleric to do kind of like a resurrection? And Shh, don't ask yeah, too many okay. questions. Revivify fish. Hmm. It's certainly an option. <laughs> and who else we got? Oh, we have uh, Manshoon. 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 He's yes. an archmage. He's uh-huh. evil. Uh-huh. He has lots of clones of himself. Yep. Um, he runs a shadow network called the Centaurim. Oh, he's yes. one of the founders of it. Well, well I think... Uh, this chap is a rogue clone of all the founders. Uh, so, the yes, the yeah. one in this adventure is apparently one of the clones, because one of the sort of features of mm. the, the clone spread in D&D is that mm. your clones always hate you. Uh, so when he created all these clones, he basically put them on ice. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this is apparently one of those clones. It's one that got away, yeah. Uh, the Zentrim are one of the factions, of which there are five in Fifth Ed, which they're really pushing. It's like uh, available straight from Lost Mines of Fandelva and onwards, especially in Adventurous League. They're like a fairly serious part of the Forgotten Realms now. So, you know, Harpers, Emerald Eye, Emerald Alliance, uh, Lord's Alliance, uh, Zentrim, um, Order of the Gauntlet. I think that's all five, yeah. I, I will share my complete ignorance here because the most I know about Waterdeep is from VR Lord's Waterdeep board game, which is an excellent game. It is excellent a very game. good game. Yeah. But uh, I know pretty much zero about Waterdeep. But you, know, I'm, I'm, time, you know I'm not a big board gamer, but mm. I did enjoy that game very mm. much. Yeah, yeah. The, the last time I fiddled around in Forgotten Realms was mm. back yeah, yeah. in the late 80s when it first came out. Mm. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, my, my Forgotten Realms knowledge is... Mine's mine's not strong, to be fair. I'm not really a sort of D&D settings guy. Mm. If I had to choose settings that I enjoyed, I would probably choose 
Dragon Lance as being my sort of gateway drug into the D and D world. Those yeah. books, the Chronicles and the Legends. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ravenloft always sort of caught mm. my imagination. Mm. Yeah, Dra- Dragon Lance and Greyhawk were the two settings that we played the most in. Mm. Yeah. Bit bit of overlap with uh, Ravenloft and Dragon Lance with uh, Lord Soth. Yes, if I indeed. Understand it. Yeah, yeah. I always loved Lord. He's basically Darth Vader, isn't he? For yeah, Dragon Lance is Darth Vader. <laughs> we 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 actually did a um, fifty-hour non-stop charity game on Dragon Lance. Wow. In Eighty. What were you playing? Like the the, the, um, well, we the were, official modules. Or? We were playing the official the DL modules. Yeah. And we we did a number of weekend um, preludes to it, where basically we were yeah building up stamina and kind of like playing for so long without yeah. sleep, um, mm-hmm. and also to choose what the final group. You know, who was going to be in the final, you know, charity run. Um, and, uh, yes, yeah, so we started from DL1 and ran away mm. through. Um, and the actual charity event, we had a hotel room donated to us in Victoria. And oh, nice. food vouchers from local fast food places, mm-hmm. which probably didn't do much for our uh, system over a week. We did 50 hours nonstop. Yeah. And then um, the guys who were running it... Mm-hmm presented the check it was all for great ormond street yeah and they presented the check to margaret weiss and somebody from great ormond street i think at the world oh. world science fiction fair or whatever it's called yeah. it's a, you know it's it's a i can't remember the name of it it's, it's a global book fantasy event that moves around the world oh, okay. um and it was in britain that year so, science fiction fantasy so, convention. yeah, yeah. but so, we digress we digress yeah. so what was the uh, fourth uh... uh so we also have john axel John Axel is a dark elf, a drow. Yes. He's charming. He um, operates outside of drow society on the surface, a bit like another drow I've heard of. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, he's an eccentric kind of swashbuckling character. Um, uh, yeah, ag- again, quite into the sort of political scheming and intrigue and things like that. Does he have a floppy hat? Uh, I believe he does. Excellent. My, mem- my memory of him is from the uh, original Drizzt-Oerden trilogy. Oh, yeah. Do you remember uh, Homeland? Oh, I can't remember. Sojourn and there was another. I can't remember mm. the three books. But mm. um, yeah, Exile. I read those as a teenager. Exile, yeah. Oh, yeah Other characters that might turn up in this adventure. Mm-hmm. I say might. I yeah. mean will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, include uh, Mert the Moneylender. Oh, okay. Interesting yeah. factoid coming up. Ed Greenwood's first character. Ooh. Created when he was six years old. <laughs> That's the name Mert. So, what do you what do you think of the idea anyway of a a heist module set in Waterdeep trying to recover a dragon's hoard against a random foe? Big on heists. Very excited for that. Not convinced there's actually a dragon in Waterdeep to recover it from. It's a sort of well, your basic dragon's not like an urban critter on the whole. So, what about Tyrants of the Underdark? Because isn't there an opening to the Underdark from Waterdeep? You've got the Yawning Portal Tavern, which would bring us seamlessly into Dungeons of the Mad Mage and the Ender Mountain Dungeon. Yes, which is the next book we're about to start discussing, in yeah. fact. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and back. Great segue there. I know. Oh, I'd almost think you'd planned it, but I know you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was actually thinking because another D&D board game I play is Tyrants of the Underdark, which is excellent. They do have dragons and that, you see, mm. so that's why I was... Well, the second book yes. the Wizards have announced yes. is Under Mountain, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Mm. Uh, so this is a 23-level dungeon. Each level in this dungeon is an entirely different sort of theme and ecosystem. It'll have a different villain, a different style. So some yeah. of them might be your sort of traditional 
damp walls and rotting doors and zombies and skeletons. Mm. Uh, others might be entirely, entirely different. So obviously we don't know too many details about it yet, but we do know. So we've got 23 levels, all fully detailed. Every room stocked in uh, fifth editions for sort of major mega dungeon. Yeah. Oh, uh, I was actually able to find out a bit more about that. There's um, the, the Mad Mage, eponymously, would be... Um, chap called Halaster. Yes. Uh, and he has various apprentices who are each responsible for a subsection of dungeon. Actual design of Mega Dungeon is quite interesting, but the reason it's also varied and changeable about is because they've got portals that they use to like, you know, say, oh, well, you're Frost Giants, merrily, I don't know, frosting along, singing your little giant songs, uh, and we're going to go yoink, take you, and you're now in a dungeon. Yes, you are now a level 22. Uh, which uh, uh, they could or could not regret. One of the things I really liked about it, because I saw like a little interview with Chris Perkins, uh, Katie Welsh and uh, Mike, Mike Mills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, was um, that they were talking about that. And Katie was saying that there's eight months of replayable content, which is a hefty claim. And also this is, this is a big deal. This book's going from level six to level 20. Yeah. So just to clarify the first book. Yes. Uh, the uh, Dragon Heist book yeah. goes from levels one to five. Yeah. The second book goes from six to 20. Which is... A much bigger challenge. I'm I'm impressed. Well, this is the first official D and D book to go up that high now. Yeah, yeah. I think I think they've hit what fifteen with Horde of the Dragon yeah. Queen. Yeah, I think I, I have seen people sort of asking for sort of more high level content. And oh, also yeah. Wizards of the Coast have heard that and yeah, yeah. they're now supplying that. Yeah, really hard. I mean, because like the amount of power that players have at that sort of level is it's non non trivial mm-hmm. at all. It's like we're talking like. Well, we have a castle and we're a super-powered lord now. What are we going to do? So, yeah, I mean, the, the highest I've gone, I think, was mm. sort of 10 to 12 or so in Curse mm-hmm. Yeah, well, okay, yeah. That's, so it's significantly higher than that. I, I can see how they would do it with like a, a sort of a living dungeon and all of these, like these, well, shall we call them stories rather than levels? Because otherwise we're just using level for everything. Call you, them what you like. I will then. Yeah, you've got 23 stories of dungeon, um, which I presume will have various choke points and ways to get down lower and so forth. Um, I mean, and there's like also the option, they've gone into detail in the rooms, but there's also like uh, exit points built into the maps. So if you want, you can then bolt on your own bit of a dungeon with your own ideas for homebrew and so forth. So mm. yeah, it's a, yeah, quite a versatile tool. I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that. Pretty pleased with that. So we're looking forward to these, are we? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do love a good heist. As has been established. Have you got any more on Wizards' upcoming releases, or should we move on? Um, well, I did want to give a shout-out to Bill, Beedle and Grimm's Platinum Edition. Oh, yes. Oh, Angus, Angus, Angus. Have you heard about this, Angus? Only in the very loosest of terms. Do you know so how much far. it costs? Unfortunately, I did hear how much yeah. it costs. For, for, for the <laughs> low, low price of... Four hundred, yes, that's with a four hundred and ninety-nine dollars. You could get the platinum box set. Five hundred dollars, and what's in this box set? Well, according to the website, high-quality battle maps, maps of the city, twenty-plus miniatures, original artwork, premium dungeon master screen. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, you know, you know my opinion on DM screens. Absolutely, coins, tokens, and badges to hand to your characters. Uh, yes. Oh, that's... Uh, there must be more than that in there. For $500, that's a hefty price tag. Well, well, I, I, I did do a bit of digging because that seemed to be priced optimistically. I was, I'm sure they're producing an extremely high quality content. Mm-hmm. 
uh, because for that sort of money, you'd better be. Um, <laughs> there was like a little ask me anything thread. And uh, one of the blowbacks we've had about pricing is that people don't understand which elements will be included in our box. There's two factors that work here. One, we can't reveal anything because of Wizards protections over content. Understandable. The other is we don't have final approval from Wizards of the Coast exactly what it is we will can include in the box. Right, so they're, they're charging $500 for a box set, but they don't know what they're going to put in it. But it'll be really cool. But it will be good. <laughs> have, have they actually started pre-orders for this? Yeah, yeah. So basically they're pre-ordering something that they're not entirely sure what is. So it's a mystery box. It. So it's a bit like Deal or No Deal. <laughs> Would you like $500 or the contents of this box? Uh, yeah. and, and the, thing got, is, the thing is, those mystery box a month things that you can get, yeah, you know, kind of like, yeah. You know, Loot crates. Yeah. 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 You know, they only cost, what, like 20, 30, $40. Well, I assume so, this is going to have more in it than the average loot crate. Oh, yeah, I, but I, you I'm, still don't know at this point. If you're going to be laying down $500, what you're going to be receiving I, at the well, end well, of well, I've looked at the, the website and they are very careful to show you some quite nice props and accessories, but none of it. But they're saying this is not included in the box set. So, you know, it's like it'll be something like this, but not this. So, yeah, I mean, it's a bit rich for my blood, but what can you do? So let's talk a bit about an event that took place last weekend, Free RPG Day. Yes. Yeah, Free RPG Day originally started up back in 2007 um, in connection with, based upon the free comic days that a lot of comic shops were having, Mm -hmm. as a way to promote role-playing games into a wider audience. The idea was is a whole bunch of companies would donate um, modules or adventures or quick starts uh, that would be collected, sent out to a whole bunch of participating stores around the world. And those stores would have people come in and run games and, you know, lots of, you know, interactive bits and pieces in shops. And it's steadily grown since then. Um, it's actually organized by Aldo at Impressions, who kind of like collects everything and then distributes it around to the distributors and retailers. And this year's event, it took place on Saturday. There was a whole bunch of companies like Kerygium, uh, Ulysses, uh, put in free, free products that, uh, you could just wander down to your store and collect, collect a module. I think the overall intention is that you go down there, you participate in some way. I think I I have heard some sort of complaints from some store owners that people literally just turn up, grab their free stuff and run off. Which I think kind of slightly defeats the purpose of it. Yeah, and also some some stores do limit, you know, you can take one item from this box Mm. sort of thing, as opposed Mm. to going, oh, I'll have one of this, one of this, one of this. Yeah, so it, it, it depends on... How how busy the store is and what they're actually yeah how 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 much effort the store is putting into it to promote the events mm. as well because um, certainly stores like Leisure Games up in London mm. were packed with you know multiple games running mm. from the time they opened to the time they just closed yeah I think when it works um, it's a really mm. really good idea yeah. yeah and and it's yeah it's great to see you know the local stores with a load of people playing games and having, yeah. having so obviously time. that was last weekend that was last weekend but that now, happens now, every year that happens every year now I know Peter was actually involved in. A free RPG day related event at the weekend. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, Borden City yes, in do. Southampton? Yeah. What they were doing was they were doing um, a special release of a day of D&D. Mm. They also had some, they were also giving away packs with some um, uh, free materials for RP, free RPG day, innit? So they just basically invited people in and they were making characters. Uh, there were some games being run as well. So did they have a good turnout? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, there was, I wasn't able to stay for the whole thing, but I was able to get people from the club along to help run out, including, um, like, we had, like, a chap called Tim Cornish come in mm-hmm. on the last day. Yeah, I know Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Complete, complete side. Like, he actually came in and 
uh, made sure that they were had enough GMs to run some of the games because they had that going on. And I was there to do a talk on how to GM. Hmm. I know. Me doing a talk in public. Ha ha ha. Did you stop to breathe? Uh, I might have Because that is not one of your talents. <laughs> 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 uh, I, I, I may have forced for dramatic effect, but I see. actual stopping to breathe was not so, so much of a thing. But yeah, we had about 15, 20 people uh, listen to me and some of them clapped and told me I did a good job. I'm sure you did. Thank you. That's kind of you. That was Free RPG Day. We're going to do our GM advice. We're going to attempt to answer them. We don't guarantee that our answers are competent, accurate, or even useful, but we'll give it a go. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, if you have any GM advice questions for us, please tweet at me on Twitter, at Morris, and use the hashtag GM advice. Mike Shee, who you might know as Sly Flourish, uh, he asked, best tips for running narrative theatre of the mind combat in D&D... 5th edition specifically, but those tips would presumably be appropriate to other games. Let's start with Angus. Angus, best tips for running narrative theatre of the mind combat? For those listeners, and potentially panellists, who do not know what theatre of the mind technically is, what is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so there's two ways of running a combat in D&D or other sort of games. So you've got a miniatures-based combat on a grid, on a battle map, or you've got theatre of the mind where it literally all happens in your head. Um, a lot of rules like games don't use miniatures and, yeah. you know, it's all so theatre it, of the mind. it's basically miniatures versus no miniatures. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, theatre of the mind is just kind of the, the term used to describe the no miniatures version. Mm. Um, so, you know, have you got any tips for running theatre of the mind-based combat? Because I think some... D&D players maybe struggle with uh, sort of uh, positioning, especially on a, a fairly tactical uh, group who might sort of think about um, flanking and positions and ranges and areas of effect and stuff. And um, when they're running theatre of the mind stuff, um, a lot of those, or their movement speeds and so forth, all that stuff stops, starts mattering less mm. when it's all happening in your head. Um, so for those sort of players, what would you say they should do? Well, one of the things for a GM that I'd certainly say is make sure that you keep the play, you know, keep the players knowing where they are, because certainly in one of the games we had years ago where we weren't using miniatures, there was one particular player Mm. who seemed to be everywhere all at the same time. And it's like, no, actually, you're over there. Yeah. I mean, one good way of doing that that some games do is use zones. Mm. And Mm. you can use your move action to essentially change from one zone to another. Mm. But wouldn't that be more miniature orientated? As well, no, because, no, no, no. The zones are in your mind. Mm. So your zones um, might be, say you've got, a, I don't know, you've got a farmhouse. So you've got yeah. front of the farmhouse, mm-hmm. inside the farmhouse, roof of the farmhouse, in the copse of trees over there. Yeah. That's, okay. that's your zones. Yeah. And so with your move action, you can move from one zone to another. Mm. You can attack in melee anybody in the same zone as you, mm. or you can attack with ranged combat anybody in a different zone to you. Yeah. Um, that's that's a, a very easy way of doing it, and mm. a lot of games mm. take that approach. Yeah, three sixteen in particular calls that out explicitly, mm. saying you're engaged uh, near or far. Yeah, which is one of its strengths. Yeah, thirteenth age uses zones heavily too. Yes, yes, engaged near and again far. Yeah, um, which is a really solid way to do it, and just completely removes the actual grid that you are in many ways tied to. Uh, and that was its big move away from forehead. Uh, my personal advice would be make it pop. There is little time to allow for the old um, analysis paralysis if you're doing fear to the mind it's because you don't want to make it really 
you don't want to really draw on the quote challenge mm. unquote aspects. You want to make it as exciting and fast paced as possible. So depending upon your level of brutality, and mine can be quite high, I'll do things like I'll hold up my hand and start counting down my fingers from five to one and say, what are you going to do? Okay, other questions. So um, we got from this effing DM on Twitter. He, he asks, how do you decide when an enemy is out for blood and when an enemy is willing to just knock the player out? I assume by that he means the character, not the player. Otherwise, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> otherwise that's a game I'm not playing. An important safety tip. DMs do not attack your actual players. They don't like it. <laughs> uh, how do you decide when someone's out for blood? What do you reckon, Angus? I think it depends on how... How the story's going? Mm. Yeah, it's it's a, you know I I would use it as a GM call, mm. d- completely dependent on how things were at that time. Mm. I don't think GMs should yeah you know, GMs should never be out for blood. Yeah, mm-hmm. as in kind of like I'm going to kill a character tonight. Well, it's not so much it's not, it's lesson, not so much whether the GM is out for blood as whether the enemy is out for blood. Yeah, but yeah, you know, so. kind of like. Yeah, that that's that's GM call in a lot of ways, isn't it? Though because obviously the enemy yeah you know, the GM is. Control and the GM is the enemy. Oh, they, 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 are, they are controlling the enemy. Yeah, they, they, are, they are playing the enemy. So yeah, it's it. Yeah, and again, it depends on what the what the actual enemy's motivations yeah, are. You know, what they're doing. There. Yeah, if if uh, yeah, if the enemy, if one of the characters has kind of like done something that's really pissed the enemy off, then yeah, they're gonna want to retaliate. Whereas for some enemies, when faced with stiff opposition, it wouldn't be a surprise to see them run away. Mm. Because why would you just stand there and be slaughtered? Mm. Um, Because I like to to have enemies run away, you know, when half of them are dead and they clearly haven't made a dent in the players. Intelligent enemies. I think the answer to the question is dependent on a couple of things. One is, what have you agreed in session zero? If it's the sort of thing you want to run and you've agreed with your players beforehand, well, I should warn you, some of your enemies will be out for blood. Like, you know, say you've been like aggravating them, killing them more or like humiliating them. That will make them angrier. And also the, the, the key, the key metric to successful GMing is did the players have a good time? Mm. Did you have a good time? And if you, if your answer is yes, then whatever answer will serve that best. So if they're, if they want sort of like a really tough game, uh, with the possibility of having people stab them when they're down, then yeah, go in for it. Have the ghoul say, well, I've got me a paralyzed player. Mm, om nom nom. And start dragging them off. Because that sort of thing really focuses a player's mind. <laughs> really focuses... Sorry, Russ. Uh, really... I'll try and say it, not spray it. Uh, really focuses a player's mind on saying, well, actually, what we need to do now is rescue our comrade before they're dragged off and eaten. Um, or like, if you've got the wolves who aren't necessarily known as intelligent, I should breathe, you say. Breathe. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there, yeah, there certainly needs to. The players need to feel threatened. <laughs> you know, if it, if the players can, you know, don't think anything's ever going to happen to their characters. Yeah. It depends on yeah. the game, of course. If you're yeah. playing a light hard, for example, um, the Ghostbusters RPG mm. in the 1980s. Mm. Because it's a silly RPG, you don't really feel threatened in it. It's not it's not horror in that sense. It's you know it's a jokey kind of thing. It depends totally depends on the game. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Other, other things can happen to you to disadvantage you in something like mm. Ghostbusters rather than actual character you know, yeah. pain. And I feel we should probably shout out a really good website for GMs uh, called themonstersknow.com. K N O W K N O W has in the monsters have knowledge. And what they've done is they've basically gone through the monster manual saying, well, these 
these are the sort of things a monster might do based on its stats. Oh, so it's tactics for each different tactics monster. Tactics for each monster. And that means you can really mix up the game. I found that to be a really helpful That's resource. a good idea. But yeah, no, I really liked it. Monsters know... Is it monsters. based on their intelligence as well? So a, a, Partly on their intelligence. So a, 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 yeah, a, a sort of animal-level intelligence monster yes. is not going to be as tactical as... Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I must say the advice for goblins was true evil. Um, I've had a lot of fun turning these like CR quarter, CR half creatures into the Banes of Purr's lives because I'm just that sort of loving guy. <laughs> <laughs> so question from Rachel. Uh, my group is getting a bit tired of fantasy, but a couple of my players haven't played anything but D&D before and seem nervous when I bring up other games. Do you have any tips for getting them interested in other systems? My advice mm-hmm. is to utilise the quick start. Mm. Find a quick start for a game that you want to play. Mm-hmm. Um, generally speaking, let the, probably let the GM choose it because I, I've always said that yeah. if the GM's not happy running the game, there's no point in the game happening. Yeah. And uh, just do one session. You can mm. do a really short session. Mm. Um, take some quick start rules. Pre-generate characters, obviously. Mm. Don't make them waste time creating characters. Oh. And run them through a short but fun session that you think probably shows off what's good about that particular game. Yes, absolutely. I think you'll probably find that, um, you know, most people's friends are more than happy to try that mm. at the very least. Yeah, I mean, pre-gens are, it's, it's always a bit of a thing because people always want to create their own characters. But I personally really love pre-gens because mm. it means I don't have to create a character in a system that I don't know. Sure, yeah. And the, other, and the other thing to do is try and think of, you know, when you're trying to describe a game to someone, try mm. and think of some kind of TV show or movie and mm. describe it to them in those terms. Yeah. Um, so just say, well, instead of um, Traveller, for example, you might describe that as Firefly. Yep. Firefly. Um, they'll know what Firefly is, they know what the basic premise is, and that is yeah. very, very similar to the basic premise of Traveller, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's that's my advice. If you want to get someone into a new game, quick start and use a sort of film stroke TV analogy. Yeah, certainly the film TV analogy is very, very good because the mm. thing is, there's a lot of people who might have only played Dungeons and & Dragons mm. and no doubt fans of things like Star Wars or Star Trek yeah. or something else like that. And being able to kind of like bring that into, you know, their sphere of, you know, the, the game as such and go, oh, actually, yeah, yeah, we could, I can see how an adventure could work and that would be fun. For example, if you think of Star Wars, yeah. the first one, or episode four, that pretty much runs a lot like a D&D game. <laughs> I mean, it does. Apart from maybe the space battle at the end, which is I've maybe a great feeling about this, yeah. But, you know, sneaking off to sort of rescue a princess from a sort of wizard's tower mm. is essentially the plot of Star Wars. Mm. Yeah. But set in space. Yeah. So, yeah, just describe it to your players like that. Yeah, yeah. getting these conceptual hooks. So they've got things to hang their ideas off before they go in. Mm. Sort of priming them. Yeah, yeah, nice. Okay then. Yeah. I hope that was helpful, Rachel. Yep. And Sly Flourish and um, the FNDM. So, some of you have been patiently waiting through all our nonsense, waiting to hear the question which might win you that shiny copy of Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. Well, here it is. The question. Remember, if you want to answer this question, you need to tweet me at Morris with the correct answer by Friday UK time midnight with the correct hashtag. And the question is as follows. What is the name of the shopkeeper who owns the Polearms Emporium? Well, I think that's us done. Um, so if people want to follow us, you can contact us on Twitter at Morris. 
Mm-hmm. You can go to our podcast page, which is morris.podbean.com, where you mm-hmm. can find various links to where you can find us. You can yeah. subscribe to us on Google Play, iTunes. Please leave us a review on iTunes because that really, really helps with the visibility. Yes. And that gives us a higher chance of getting into the sort of new and noteworthy um, section. Yeah. Hey, if you'd like to tell your friends, if you didn't like us, tell no one. <laughs> I also say there's another podcast which is on your Morris Podbean account. As well. Yeah. So one thing we are also doing is uh, there's the uh, a live play show called Warped, which is a fun, oh. comedic, very silly space opera campaign. Think the Orville, maybe <laughs> even sillier than that. Um <laughs> It's season three of Warped, and uh, for season three, we've decided to bring it over to the sort of main podcast feed that we've got this podcast on. So what you're going to find each week, you're going to get one episode of this podcast, which discusses the news and so forth, and you're going to get one episode of Warped, which is going to be about three to three and a half hours of very, very silly, but really, really entertaining play. So please, please do listen to that. We're not in it. That's hosted by a chap, an American chap called Wax Steven and his, uh, his merry band of starship officers. I think that's a loose term, but officers. So give that a try. Uh, yeah, so if you head on to patreon.com forward slash Morris, um, you'll find our Patreon. Um, we're going to be putting outtakes there and deleted scenes every week. Um, the first one is there already from last week. You'll be able to hear what we're really like, which is... <laughs> 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 and realise just how incompetent we really are. Oh, well, it's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Marsh, but fair. Yeah, that's uh, patreon.com forward slash M-O-R-R-U-S. Fantastic. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you, and bye-bye. Goodbye. Yeah,